Welcome to We Belong Here, Lessons from Unconventional Paths to Tech. I'm your host, Lauren Lee. And who am I? I was your wacky 10th grade English teacher who would occasionally rap a Shakespearean soliloquy, would always encourage a live performance of a book report, and would occasionally dress up in costume as Professor Dumbledore to host an ethics debate, who then, after nearly a decade, decided to take the massive leap of faith to attend a coding boot camp, switch careers, and dive deep into the tech industry. I've been surprised by how many of the skills and lessons I learned as an educator have translated to my role in tech. So that got me thinking, have you taken a non-traditional route to tech? Or are you interested in transitioning yourself? This is a podcast that aims to interview career changers and folks who are diversifying tech. We'll hear stories from people who've taken unique paths and chat about the skills that they've transferred to their roles today. We're hoping to create a space for people to learn from one another, develop confidence, and debunk the antiquated notion that a computer science degree is required to succeed in tech. Come on, everyone. Let's dive in. My guest today is a nonprofit fundraising professional turned coder. Today, she's a software development engineer at Amazon on the same Kindle team that I come from. She's originally from Rochester, New York, but has spent the last seven years in Seattle and is now a self-proclaimed outdoorsy dog person as a result. She studied public health and anthropology at University of Rochester and went on to work in the nonprofit fundraising sector for organizations like United Way for AmeriCorps, Food Lifeline, Forterra, and PATH as a donor service coordinator and a manager at a memorial art gallery in New York. She then made the choice in 2018 to take a leap of faith and learn how to code by attending Ada Developers Academy in Seattle. She's passionate about low-carb cooking and fighting the patriarchy, and she wants you to know that you have the right and the ability to learn anything. Her name is Nora Peters. She's a dear friend of mine who never ceases to amaze me, and I am so excited to have her on the show today. Thank you so much for talking with me, Nora. So good to be here. Thanks for having me, Lauren. Awesome. Okay, let's start from the beginning, shall we? Sure. Okay, can you tell me more about the experiences that you had before you, say, entered the tech industry? Sure. So yeah, for about eight years after co- after I graduated college, I worked in the nonprofit sector, like you mentioned, and I, I went into the nonprofit work because I wanted to help people. Hmm. And I was less focused on making money at that point, so nonprofit sector seemed like a great way to go. And I also wanted to move away from New York because I had grown up there and went to school there in Rochester and I wanted to get out and explore. And so I knew I wanted to move to Seattle. I applied for AmeriCorps positions only in Seattle and I landed one at the United Way. Wow. Like you said, I worked for a number of years here, kind of bouncing around to different organizations, focused on hunger relief um, Mm. and environmental conservation, global health, art and music. But about halfway through my, my nonprofit sector um, career, I started to feel a sense of disappointment in the uh, compensation and the rate of advancement into higher positions hmm. and sort of the bad managers that I had to deal with uh, on a regular basis. And I knew 
that there was probably some place else for me to to make an impact and to still help people just in a different way and in, in, in a way that would help me as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was that's part of my beginning story. Yeah, it, you were you hit a lot of industries. It sounds like hunger relief, environment, yeah, art gallery. Let's um, you really dabbled in it all. It sounds like yeah, and it was really fun to to be able to help people and work for a mission as opposed to you know working for the bottom line. That mm-hmm. I had this sort of moral ethical judgment against the for-profit corporate sector as like the dark side. Um. Sure. Totally. Yeah. Mission-driven companies can feel incredible to work for. You know, you spend all your whole day dedicated toward the good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, eventually I realized that I could also help people by working in tech. You know, it's not it's not as black and white as I previously thought. Interesting. Okay, so let's go there. How did you decide to learn to code and how did you exactly learn it? And how did you come upon that decision in the first place? So actually, I would have never pursued a career change had it not been for therapy, for mental health counseling. Hmm. I started seeing a therapist, like I said, about four years into my nonprofit career because I was feeling frustrated and everything. After a few years of working with her, my therapist asked me one day if I had ever thought about learning how to code or getting in the software industry. Oh, no way. And she told me about Data Developers Academy and how it was this tuition-free coding school for women and gender diverse folks to learn to code and enter tech as software developers. And at first I brushed it off as like a totally crazy suggestion because mm-hmm. I thought it was too good to be true. I thought like I wasn't cut out for the for that kind of work. So my therapist brought it up a number of more times and I was like, finally, like, okay, really? I'll, I'll look into it. Yeah, because those two industries probably felt so different from each other. Yeah. But it's like, no totally way. Different. That's so that's not what I went to school for. Like, <laughs> right. what? That just seems so out of left field almost. Yeah. And then like you're right, I had to sort of ad- examine my implicit, my unconscious biases there about like, well, why do I think that's a crazy suggestion? You know, yeah. because every, every, all, all the signs pointed to me not really being welcome in the tech sector as a woman, as someone who didn't study computer science. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't even know what code was. I, I had written some HTML and some formulas in Excel, but I had never been introduced in an accessible way to the world of computer science or software development. So Sure. Lack of exposure, unconscious bias, gender stereotypes, the dark side, you know, all of that. <laughs> I had this preconceived notion that I just I wouldn't enjoy it either. Like I would be like, that's too much, too abstract for my brain to understand. Or I would just go cross-eyed or fall asleep looking at nonsense text on a black screen. But yeah, thanks to my therapist, I looked into it. I started looking at like basic online tutorials from like Codecademy. Okay. I started listening to like CompSci 101 lectures from MIT that are available for free online. Oh yeah. Those are incredible resources. And I just remember feeling the spark, this like excitement that I hadn't felt in a long time huh. about learning something new. And then I found out how much money I could make as a developer, <laughs> which blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait. Yeah, you're like, like, sorry, you guys get paid what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, dang, you know, I work so hard in, in nonprofit work, but the work is not valued in society the same way that yeah. writing code is. And I just had to come to terms with that. And so, yeah, this spark, this this excitement for learning just drove me forward. And I also happened to read this this self-help book at the time called You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. Mm. And it's a it's a pretty popular, best-selling self-help book. And it's kind of corny. It just really inspired me to take a leap of faith, just to like have a goal, be laser focused on that goal and put all my efforts towards it. And That's so cool. Yeah. So I decided to quit my job, my nice nonprofit job, move back to New York to live with my parents and hopefully find a job 
in Rochester to bring in money while I applied to ADA. Oh, I see. Okay. So you were working at the art gallery and getting your application ready mm-hmm. to then hopefully get into ADA. I see. Awesome. Yeah. What an incredible therapist to see that into you, in you, to see you resisting, to see you saying, no, that's not the path for me. I wouldn't be good at that. That's not my cup of tea. That's not my story. And to keep pestering you with it and to be persistent with that is really cool. Yeah, that's a great point. Like sometimes you, you're too close, you're too inside your own head to realize like all of your strengths and how they can be applied to other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tough for us to be our own self advocate at points to see that, you know, these skills that we have might be really good for something else in a different, totally different industry than we ever expected it to be. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. so incredible. I got rejected from Ada the first time I applied. And so, um, like, (laughs) that must have been really shitty. (laughs) Disappointing, for sure. But um, yeah, disappointing. From the the outset, that was likely to happen. I had Mm -hmm. done my homework and I had reached out to people who had been through the program and I was like, hey, like, what was your experience? Some people told me they applied three or four times before they got yeah. in. Yeah. And so I was yeah. really expecting it. And just, I doubled down on all the activities that would get me to that goal I was laser focused on. So I joined my local girl development chapter, started going to classes. I got a grant from the local like unemployment agency to take this full like 12 week front end web development course, which exposed me to a lot of great concepts. And yeah, I networked and I practiced. And the next time I applied, I, I got in. You and were so ready for it at that point. I was ready. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, that's amazing. Oh, congratulations, right? I mean, you've already graduated from it, but it's yeah. still just <laughs> such an incredible feet something to feel incredibly proud of too yeah thanks and you know what i wanted to say for listeners it felt really good for myself that i accomplished that goal but i also noticed how my drive and that motivation actually inspired the people around me like Mm. friends that i would hang out with that i reconnected with back home or even elsewhere like they were like wow you're really going for it you did it you got in yeah you set a goal you named it you declared it to the world and you hustled for it and you achieved it Exactly. And that inspired them to go after their goals. So that was like super, like extra bonus for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. It feels really good to be a beacon of support for the people around you as well and encouragement. Definitely. So let's bring us to today. Can you tell me more about what you do now at Amazon? Sure. So I'm a software development engineer, SDE for short, on a Kindle content and marketing team. So my team is really focused on bringing together all of our disparate outbound marketing programs and trying to actually limit the amount of contact that we have with customers and improve the quality of the the content that we surface for them. And we want to make sure that we're sharing the right content on the right device for the right customer at the right time. So you don't spam them with tons and tons of content. Right. And so like there's a lot of machine learning models behind that to try and get hyper personalized like recommendations for the next book that you should read. A lot of collaboration with other Kindle teams on how to surface that content on the website or on the reader, e-reader device or Mm -hmm. mobile push notifications and things like that. And while marketing doesn't really, you know, fuel my fire person. Um, at the end of the day, like going back to working for a mission, like if, yeah. if at the end of the day, I'm getting more people to read more books and to become more educated, like I can live with that. Heck yeah. <laughs> it feels so good. And it, I think it's a really neat thing to genuinely say, okay, you really enjoyed that Kindle based on how quickly you read that. And you could not put that book down. This is probably going to be the best book for you next. That's right. really thoughtful, actually. Yeah. And like, we want to delight our customers. We don't want to just, you know, serve them well. We want them to be delighted and and surprised. Yeah. 
my intern project that I worked on actually is in production now. That's amazing. Super fun. And it's also being like, feels good. iterated on and improved upon. And people have come back to me asking me questions and it makes me feel good that I actually can teach them something. Yeah. And that you're an expert on something and that they need you yeah. as opposed to, I'm sure as an intern, I often felt overwhelmed with guilt of all the questions that I had all the time to the yeah. team saying, oh, I'm so sorry. I have another question or oh, mm-hmm. like, I'm sorry to take up your time right now. Can you help me with this? And so it feels mm-hmm. nice to flip it a bit, but I know you're not supposed to feel that way. So I really shouldn't be putting that language out into the universe. No, but that's like a great point because you're right. It it can quickly feel like you're burdening people. But a few things that I had to tell myself, I realized my mentor had signed up for this. You know, he signed up for this commitment. And so I I could use his time Mm -hmm. because that's what he signed on for. And so like, I decided not not to burden to him. Right. I, I scheduled time on our calendars to make sure that we sat down together. I even scheduled whiteboarding, data structure and algorithm practice with him on a weekly basis. And I really embraced this advice that I had received from an ADA alumna who told me that I have the right and the ability to learn anything. Mm. She told me that at the very beginning of my internship when I was feeling kind of frustrated and not sure how to navigate all this ambiguity. She was like, look, you can, you have the right and the ability to learn anything. And so that felt so empowering. I was like, yeah. Like even when people make you feel, even not on purpose, if they make you feel like there's this esoteric knowledge that you just, you don't have enough education or the the right background to access this knowledge. So Mm. it's not true. Like you, you can learn anything you want to. That That's what empowered me to always ask those questions. Yeah. It's incredibly empowering to think of it that way and to, to spin it almost to see your questions as just opportunities for you to continue learning. And mm-hmm. that it asking those questions even then exposes to your team what they could do better in explaining. And so there's benefits yeah. on both sides of it. And it is almost an important gut check when you are feeling that guilt or that as though you are wasting their time to twist it from that perspective so that you can understand it as like a way for the entire team and org, et cetera, to grow. Yes. That's a really good point, actually. And my manager, he actually pointed this out the other day. He said, the fact that I'm newer to this industry and I I have a lot of questions, he's noticed how the, the collaboration level on the team has has increased in a positive way because of my presence. Like he gave me that credit, which felt really cool. Like he recognized it's amazing. my perspective as a beginner is a valuable one. It, it's yeah. not a burden at all. It's actually sparking conversation and collaboration. Yeah. So it's yeah. celebrated, it's needed, it's important. It's a vital part of the team's structure now. Yeah. Amazing. Very cool. Okay. And then let's circle back to day-to-day now. So this is good practice for me because one of my goals is to get better at articulating what I do every day. Isn't it funny? That can be <laughs> kind of difficult sometimes. <laughs> it is hard because there's so much jargon and yep. so many acronyms and stuff mm-hmm. in this world. So it's just hard. And family members just think that you're sitting behind a computer screen looking at ones and zeros. And so it's like, yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so if I had to articulate what I do Right now I'm working on, I'm, I get to work in a Ruby on Rails code base, which is great because a big part of the ADA curriculum is Ruby and Rails. And that makes me feel pretty competent, which is mm. an uncommon feeling these days. <laughs> no, I bet it's fun um, to return back to that. That's nice. Yeah. And I'm working on this process of, um, so every, every book that we try to market has to be filtered for appropriateness. We don't want to market any content that might be controversial or too political or religious, uh, just for just to have like low drama. Um, <laughs> so if it's too and, sexy, it can't, it can't yeah. fly. Got yeah. it. <laughs> 
something that I've become more um, knowledgeable about since working at Amazon is this concept of microservice architecture mm. or service-oriented architecture. Instead of having this monolith code base, you, you have all these little services that call each other. And right now for our, for our outbound appropriateness filtering, we use this one service that's being deprecated and we have to move to this other one. Mm. And so my job right now is to sort of take the requirements that were given to me, clarify them with the project manager and my fellow developers, look at the code base to see what we're currently doing with that one service and sort of refactor it and change things and add new code for this new functionality, keeping in mind that we're going to be generating a, a weekly report to send to this team in India that helps us with manual review decisions. Mm. So if the service said, no, that's not appropriate for outbound marketing, our reviewers can say, well, actually it might be and here's why there's a whole process around that and so i'm writing the code just doing a lot of data management and manipulation so getting data sources from all over the the company pretty much this big data lake this big data warehouse trying to get the right tables filter them write a lot of sql and then populate this report of all of these books that need to be reviewed for appropriateness very cool that's so interesting you triggered a memory for me when i was on the team i remember them using the language of data lake was the first time i'd ever heard that term and I remember just picturing like a lake uh -huh. filled with book titles <laughs> and just imagining just this little robot would go and select them. And was like, oh, so that's what I'm building. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, so I was very confused about it for a while, visual. but eventually uh, figured out what the right question was um, to understand. Because sometimes I think you have to help the people that are helping you even to clarify what you're confused about. Totally. And that's like... At the end of the day, like all of what we do is about communication. All the things we write and the, the code we put into production and out there in the world, we're helping humans communicate with each other. So we got to be yeah. of that too. So how has your past as a nonprofit professional fundraiser helped you today in your role as an engineer? Yeah. So a lot of ways, actually. At first, I didn't realize how much my, my past work experience would help me in this transition. Mm. But other people, again, that objective perspective, other people outside of my head have told me uh, what's what I've brought to the table. And one of those things is just having professional experience in like project management and yeah. simple things like showing up to meetings on time, <laughs> <laughs> uh, making sure my calendar's up to date, being prepared mm -hmm. for meetings, and just knowing how to be a person in the professional world is such a huge asset. Like people take it for granted. A lot of developers, you know, come right out of college and they don't have any of that experience. And so they managers struggle with teaching those soft skills of like, no, you got to show up to this meeting on time. You know, another thing from nonprofit, the nonprofit world is working in a quote unquote lean environment, like frugality, which is a big mm. principle at Amazon, but also like, oh, that's an Amazon buzzword, baby. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> a lot of tech companies are not super frugal. You know, they provide free lunches and everything. But Amazon's different. And I actually appreciate that because in the nonprofit sector, you run a very tight budget like all the time and you have to work with what you what you have. I notice it forces developers to be more creative mm. when you can't just solve the problem with more hardware. You have to write software that's more efficient and uses the hardware that you do have more efficiently. And so I'm learning a lot about oh. that and like how my, my background is applied there. Yeah, it translates really well. It's really cool. Yeah. Back to the project management skills, like because I've ma managed projects and programs on my own, I have empathy for the project managers and TPMs that I work with and what their day-to-day -day life is like and mm -hmm. how I can better help them, ask better questions of them to help me. So I have a good understanding and that sort of translated well into like this 
concept of agile development, which, you know, is very popular. Yeah, I bet. Software. And another thing I would say is data, data management, data analysis. I mm. did a ton of that in fundraising. A oh, you did? Financial crunching of numbers, forecasting, things like that. The fact that I work in sort of a marketing arm of, of Kindle now is, is interesting because so much of fundraising involves the same principles. Being donor-centric is very similar to being customer-centric. Ah, uh, Yeah. You do a lot of the same forecasting and measurement of like the, the effectiveness of marketing campaigns as you do to fundraising campaigns. Just um, having this this concept of how to generally write a SQL query and or how to pull different columns from different tables, even though I had to learn how to actually write SQL. Right. The exact like language of it, but <laughs> yeah. I have like the baseline concept of like what a relational database is. Like I learned a ton about relational databases and fundraising. That's so so cool. That's great content knowledge to bring to the job. A ton of transferable skills. Definitely. Oh, that's, I'm very envious. I, I, that's, that's Mm -hmm. awesome. I remember trying to make sense of relational databases when I was there being like, okay, just say it just one more time. (laughs) Okay. Nora, can you share any life lessons that you've learned since your transition to tech? Yes. And this is probably my, my favorite part okay. <laughs> of this conversation because I had to, I felt like I learned some things the hard way hmm. by having to go through it and go through the pain. But one of those things, it's so, it's so simple, but let go of your ego. If I had to tell mm-hmm. someone advice, who's trying to break into this field, and it also sounds like a broken record almost, but tech is all about embracing failure and learning from it. Before I tried to learn how to code, I tended to gravitate towards subjects and activities that I was naturally good at. Hmm. Therefore, you know, I, I wasn't challenging myself and I, that much, and I didn't have to risk feeling like a complete idiot. <laughs> but during ADA, during the classroom portion, especially, I had so many moments of utter confusion that because of my ego was front and center, it quickly devolved into feelings of like worthlessness. And I realized it was because of my fragile little ego could not stand not knowing something. Mm -hmm. My ego hates being a beginner and prefers to be the teacher. But after I acknowledged how my ego was getting in the way and responsible for that bad reaction to learning, I worked on being mindful about dropping my ego. I noticed I was able to learn better and make more mental connections than before because I wasn't worried about looking like an idiot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Just to let go of that concept. Be like, I'm not going to understand this and that's going to be okay. Yep. And it's just fine. And it's fine and it's important and it's a necessary part of this process and you have to fail at it. You're not going to learn something if you get it right the perfect first time. And yeah, you nailed exactly what I had to unlearn coming from being a teacher and being an expert in things. I had to suddenly be able to sit in the classroom listen to our instructors, have absolutely no idea what they were talking about, and then still do the homework Mm -hmm. assignment that night and be able to piecemeal it together with what I did understand and ask the right questions, et cetera. But that was tough for me. Right. Yeah. Totally relate. Yeah. I say to my team all the time today, like there's no ego in code, everyone. Like we just need to drop that and just be willing to figure this out together. Like we, we are not married to the solution just because you came Mm -hmm. up with it does not mean that it's the right one and the one that we have to do, but it's, it's tough. Totally. And another principle at Amazon, right. It's like this disagree and commit, like you, you should have a, an opinion about something, but at the end of the day, none of this code belongs to you. It's like, we have to work as a team to develop the right solution at the right time, get something done and then keep iterating, keep moving forward. Nothing should live forever. Things are always changing. Innovation is, yeah, yeah. It's now it's happening. (laughs) 
It's all around us. Jane girl, you are like spitting out those leadership <laughs> principles. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it really is a part of the culture here. And I have to say like, actually really do appreciate yeah, them. You drank the Kool-Aid. It's okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. So another lesson, another simple one, but it's just mm. to have faith that it'll, it'll all work out. When I, about a month into my internship, I started to freak out and have overwhelming anxiety that I wasn't going to be able to land my first job, my first developer job. I thought the internship was going poorly. There was too much ambiguity. I had no idea what I was doing. It just occupied my mind constantly, this worry. It's plaguing. Yeah. Yep. And again, my therapist, she just asked me, have you thought about just having faith that it'll it'll all work out? And I was like, no. (laughs) Has it crossed my mind yet? (laughs) No, like... That sounds like crazy talk, but I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try that. I'll give it a try. Wouldn't you know, all that time, all that wasted energy I spent Uh worrying, once I cut that out of my mind, my mind totally opened up and I was able to learn better and retain more and actually enjoy things like whiteboarding (laughs) because I was excited about it. So yeah. Not Wow. So once you were able to turn that off in your brain, it opened up space. That's amazing. That's incredible advice. Because I think there is this pressure and obsession to land that first job. And I will say that both of us are incredibly lucky. You know, part of Ada's program is a five-month internship after the classroom portion. Right. Thus, it's a foot in the door, right? We have a chance to make an impression with a company and to get that on our resume. Unlike you, I, I left after my time there, but it still is an incredible opportunity to learn about a code base and to immerse yourself into a new language, perhaps, et cetera, and to a new team dynamic and to participate in a team stand up each day mm-hmm. and just see how a team runs. And so I think that that during that time, though, if you can actually just see it as a total learning opportunity, as opposed to an audition, which I felt as though it was sometimes. I yeah. I remember saying that to my mentor saying, I just feel like I am on stage for you at all moments. And it was tough for me to, while I eventually did, was able to let that go, plagued me, it haunted me as you're speaking to too. And that was, um, yeah, ditto on the really rough first <laughs> month. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, And once I, once I dropped that, like I dropped my ego, I had faith. Mm-hmm. It opened up so much more room and I was able to be like, look, I have nothing to lose. So I'm going to mm-hmm. go at it with like everything I've got. And it just, that gave me like fuel and energy to approach like the job search outside yeah. of internship as well. And I ended up getting through a number of interviews and got an offer from an- another company. And so then I was in the the great position of being able to leverage one offer against another. Which- yeah, that's a great advice. That was my best way of leveraging my job at GoDaddy. I was able to leverage my offer from Amazon with that one. And negotiation tactic wise, I think that, that we could have its own episode on. Yeah, that's, a whole other episode. that's a whole other conversation that we could have. I would love to have you back on because you and I have spent a lot of time talking about negotiation tactics actually as well. Uh, but it's it's that's a important skill and we've got to negotiate. We've got to ask for more, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a, it is really empowering to feel wanted by tech companies and to feel yeah. like, yes, this was worth it. And I did it. And I, back to that, like I manifested this goal, I'm hustled and I, and I achieved the goal I set out and it's incredibly inspiring for the people around us as well. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. One piece of advice I've given to a number of people after my interviewing experience external to Amazon, I, I noticed that when I went into an interview with a lot of excitement and energy and positivity about being so excited about the opportunity, mm-hmm. they eat that right up. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't insincere either. I, I was genuinely excited. And that coupled with the skills I was able to demonstrate on the whiteboard even though I faltered sometimes, I didn't have like quite a perfect solution. Right. Your attitude can make up for some of where there's gaps and in, in learning. Yeah, it's important. They want to see that for sure. That's great advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Do you have any other advice that you would want to give those who are wanting to transition into tech that you could share? Yeah, for folks, you know, women and people of color, folks who are underrepresented in tech, this might be a controversial statement, but I personally think that more and more tech companies are becoming aware of this of this problem. And they have goals set for increasing their diversity of their pipeline and their hiring. It's true. Yeah. Take full advantage of that, is my advice. Um, some people can feel tokenized legitimately, which is valid. Some people can feel like they're not getting the respect that they deserve for their for their skill set and their experience and are more yeah. being hired yeah. as a quote diversity hire. No, yeah, you and you and I have struggled on this particular right? Like um got, have gone back and forth on this. Yeah. Um but right. No, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. My personal feeling is that you know, if that means if if they're filling their quota and maybe being tokenized gets me a foot in the door, then fine. Once I'm in, sure. then I can take it from there and I can make change from the inside. But you have to get in first. You got to get in for it. Yeah. I mean, I will just to lovingly disagree. I think there are <laughs> companies where you can have those learning opportunities and also feel valued as a human and to be seen as a full person and not just a diversity number. So, 100%. you know, but that, but that also, you know, it takes getting into the industry itself though, too. Sure. So. But I, I love a healthy debate. <laughs> okay, Nora, go ahead and make your shout out. What would you like the listeners to go check out? Ada Developers Academy, of course. Look into it. Yes, program. always. I always put a link in the show notes. I'm like, check them out. <laughs> Back to that one self-help book that really, really pushed me over the edge. If you're, if you're on the cusp and you just need that extra nudge to go for yeah. it. Was it You Are a Badass? You Are a Badass by Jen Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'll link that. Okay, for sure. Okay, well, and Nora, where can people find you online? Uh, folks can find me on Twitter. My handle is ntpetes, spelled N-T-P-E-T-E-S, or on LinkedIn, Nora Peters. All right, well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you for all of the advice you were able to share. Absolutely, I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> of course. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> and that's a wrap on another episode of We Belong Here, Lessons from Unconventional Paths to Tech. Be sure to rate and subscribe anywhere you can find podcasts and check us out next week for another story and lessons learned from an unconventional path to tech.